Welcome to the Vineyard Church of Greater Portland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more podcasts and other resources, please visit www.vineyardportland.org. <coughs> Mario, is, uh, Mario is gone this weekend. He's actually in Boston. Um, he is visiting his son, who um, his son's wife just had a baby this weekend. So they are away in Boston. Yeah, so second grandchild, which is really cool. Um, for them, so they'll be there all weekend, so um, I know they're having a good time, and we've already seen pictures of the baby, so it's really cool, so when he gets back and you see him, make sure you congratulate him, he's a grandfather of two now, so it's so cool. Okay, so we're going to dive right into our series this morning, so our series that we started last week is a series focused on compassion, and this week we're going to be focusing on the cost of compassion, and before we get into it, I just want to say something really quick to you guys. Um, I really hope that this talk that you're about to hear really kind of um, encourages you because I, I kind of feel like when we come in on a Sunday morning, like our goal, and this is my goal, and I know this is probably most of your goal, and hopefully it's all of your goal, is that we become a little bit more like Jesus, yeah. right? That we become a little bit more like him. And, and, and that's really why we come here. We come here to be together with one another. We come to encounter the Holy Spirit. We come to, to, to be a part of what God is doing in this community. But ultimately, what we want to do, and if we're not doing this, we're missing the mark, is that we want to become a little bit more like Jesus. And I feel like each Sunday, as we worship God and get together with one another, and we hear from the word and the stories that Jesus spoke, that the whole intention of that is to become just a little bit more like him. And it's not going to happen. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, oh my gosh, I'm a totally different person. Maybe you will be. Maybe you don't know Jesus today, and you will tomorrow, or you will today. You'll encounter him radically. But for a lot of us, it's an incremental thing in life, right? It's like, am I, can I be a little bit more like him today than I was yesterday? And so this morning, I really feel like, I really hope that we can come out of this thing this morning and just, and just, and just have this, this, this mindset of like, well, I'm just going to be, I just want to be a little bit more like him today. It doesn't have to be major, just a little bit. Because every little bit, when we look back in a year, it becomes a big thing. So I just want to encourage you guys this morning that as we read the story that we're about to read and we hear from the Word of God that, that we can just become that a little bit more this morning. Sound good? All right, cool. All right, so does anybody here know what floppers are? Yeah. Floppers? Yeah. Anybody know what flopping is? Not flossing. We all know how to do the, the floss. Yes? No? Come on. Not flip-flops. Not flip-flops. Flopping. Yeah? All right, so if you are a, a basketball fan or are actually a soccer fan, actually, if you're a fan of sports in general, you will know what flopping is, okay? Flopping is this thing that athletes do that try to, um, they, what they do is they fake an injury or some type of movement in order to gain the, uh, the attention of the ref in order for them to call a foul on the opposing team, right? So let me just move this out of the way. I'll 
I'll kind of show you how that works. So like the guy will be dribbling the ball. It'll be like, and the guy will come over and defend him. And the, then a guy will come and try to pick him. He'll be like, oh, oh, and he gets hit. And he, he like, he like, he make, makes it sound like, it makes it feel like he got hit way worse than he did. And the whole goal is to have the referee look at him in order to call a foul on the other team. And in soccer, they do this all the time. It's so bad. So the soccer guy will come over, and this guy will give him a little nudge or a little, a little kick, and he'll be like, ah! And he'll just fall on the ground, and he'll try to create a foul. Have you guys ever seen that? Have you guys ever seen that? All the time, right? I can't stand floppers. Because when you, when you look back and you, take the vi- and you watch the video back, you're like, are you serious right now? Did that guy just do that? That is so not professional. You know? So... We have floppers in our house. I don't know if all you guys have any floppers in your house, but we have some floppers in our house. And, pre- and predominantly, it's one person. It's Rylan, my middle child. And we had this unbelievable s- situation that unfolded a couple weeks ago. I wasn't even home, but Shannon was there. And Rylan loves to do this thing with Gracie, where he just bugs her, Right? He bugs her so bad. And so Ryland will do this thing where he'll just follow her around or he'll just say something to her that just bugs her and he'll just repeat it over and over again. And he just like gets under her skin so bad sometimes. And Gracie, she's got a temper. So there was this one time, I wasn't even there, but I heard about it and I asked Shannon, I was like, can you remind me of that story? Because I want to use this story. So she reminded me of the story. So basically what happened was is Gracie was doing something, Ryland was just bugging her and she just basically turned around and was just like, and this like fit of anger and before she even touched Rylan Rylan is like oh and like falls on the ground right and goes to goes goes to Shanna and is about to be like mama Gracie and she's looking right at him looking right at him so he looks at her and he says and he thinks to himself oh man I am caught and all he could do was laugh all he could do was laugh he knew he was caught. He, he couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't fake it. He couldn't flop. He couldn't do anything. He knew he was caught, and so he just had to laugh. So we've got floppers in, floppers in our house, and the reason why I bring that up this morning is because sometimes it's really hard to have compassion on people, <laughs> right? Sometimes it can be really hard to have compassion on people, especially the people that we may know really well or people we're familiar with. You know, sometimes the world around us causes us to be cynical of others and their needs, right? I'm not perfect. There have been plenty of times where I've reacted to my kids and I've been like, you know what? You're faking. (laughs) But they weren't. They weren't. And Shanna has been like, you know what? You've got to do that differently. And so I'm the first to sit here and say, you know what? I do not show compassion when I should, you know? It's not easy sometimes to put ourselves in that place to show compassion and empathy towards others because sometimes we're so conditioned to be like, that's not real. That's fake. You're just trying to gain attention. And so this morning, I wanted to kind of frame that whole idea of compassion um, around that whole idea of like, okay, what are we supposed to do when confronted with situations when we are compelled to show compassion? And what will the cost be if we are going to do that? And Jesus does a really great job of trying to figure out and trying to explain to us what compassion is and what the cost is going to be through a story. And that story is the story of the Good Samaritan. And so in the Good Samaritan, in, chap- in uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, if you all want to go there, if you get your Bibles, 
you can go there. If you get your phones, get your app out. Um, get to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. <coughs> so in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 29, basically what we see here is this. We see a man who's a lawyer, and he confronts Jesus when Jesus is speaking, and he's teaching publicly, and he says to Jesus, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, you're a lawyer. What does the law say? What do you say it says? And so the lawyer turns around to Jesus and he says to him, well, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There you go. And Jesus said, you know what? You got it, man. Why don't you go and do that and you'll live. You're all set. You know what to do, right? And so, right? Case closed. Story's over. Not so fast. The lawyer comes back to him and says, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And the, script, and the text says, seeking to justify himself, which basically means seeking to prove himself right. He asks the question, who's my neighbor? Because guess what? This guy already wants to know that he's already doing everything he's supposed to do to inherit eternal life. So he's trying to like, you know, he's trying to secure his eternity here. And so Jesus has an opportunity here. He, he can either answer with an answer, but instead, Jesus answers with a story. He answers with a story. And that's the story of the Good Samaritan. But before we get into it, I just want to clarify this idea of neighbor for a moment. Okay? So the word neighbor, okay, might be a little different for us than it would be for the Jew, which would be for Jesus. This idea of neighbor, right, in the Old Testament is this idea of someone who you identify with. Someone you share common traditions with, someone you share common values with. In, in, in the Jewish culture, that word neighbor actually comes from a term in the Old Testament that's um, rendered rea, R-E-A. And that is this, a friend, companion, or fellow citizen. So that was the term that the lawyer was using to try to figure out who he was supposed to take care of. And for us, neighbor might mean the guy next door. I mean, there's an even more immediate context to our idea of neighbor. It could be just the guy next door. It doesn't even necessarily mean an American or even someone from the state of Maine. For us, the neighbor is who's cutting their lawn next to me on a summer sunny day, right? And so we have to understand that this term neighbor means something completely different in the Old Testament and in the Hebrew culture than it does here. And Jesus is going to completely redefine what it is to be a neighbor through this story. So let's read the story. In the story, there are four characters. There's a man, a Levite, a priest, and a Samaritan. So we read in chapter, in uh, verse 33, or verse 30, sorry, we read that there's a man, we don't know much about him, on the road, he's found beaten, he's on the side of the road, he's bloodied, he uh, basically was robbed, and everything was stolen from him. And so we read that in verse 30. And in verse 31, the, the second character comes into the story. So the first character is the man. Don't know much about him. Second character comes in, and he is a priest. Now, the priest is basically the person in charge of temple worship, right? He's the one that is in charge and has been given the responsibility to oversee the, wor the, the, the idea of worship and worshiping God in the temple in Jerusalem, okay? We see this man approach the man on, th on the street. And we read that he makes an intentional decision to not engage with the man and go to the other side. 
In the next verse, we see another man enter into the story, and he is a Levite. Now, a Levite is just basically someone from the tribe of, Isra- uh, from the tribe of Levi, which is one of the uh, 12 tribes of Israel. Now, a Levite can be part of the temple worship in Jerusalem, not necessarily a priest, but typically can be involved in what goes on in the temple um, when they are in time of worship. So we see that the Levite sees the man, intentionally crosses to the other side, and keeps on going. Finally, in verse 33, we see this last character, which is the Samaritan. Now, keep in mind, the Levite and the priest, these guys were the ones that knew the law of God. And what is the law of God? What does the law of God say? God's law says, be merciful, be compassionate, be just, act justly. That is the law of God. Everything about the law of God God points to his compassionate, merciful, and just heart. That is who God is. And these guys were the keepers of that law. These guys knew the law better than anyone else. And so who do you think should have been the people that would have stopped for this man first and foremost? It should have been those two guys. Those two should have been the first to stop and say, you know what, I have compassion on this man because that is what God has called me to do. That is the life that God has called me to live because that is what God's law says. Be compassionate, act justly, and, be, and show mercy. But they didn't. And Jesus picks a Samaritan to stop. Now, the thing you have to understand about a Samaritan is this. A Samaritan was someone who didn't necessarily live around Jerusalem. Samaritans were from the north. They were a different people group than the Jews. They were all part of the same 12 tribes, but they split at one point and became actually the sworn enemies of the Jews. So the Samaritans and the Jews were like this. They did not like each other. That's one thing we have to understand about the story is that they did not get along. Why did Jesus pick the Samaritan to be the one to stop and not the Levite or the priest? That's the question we have to ask ourselves this morning. So we pick it up in verse 30. And the first thing I want to say to you guys this morning, and the first point is this. Compassion requires a decision. Compassion requires a decision. The Levite and the priest both had a decision they had to make. They had to decide whether they were going to stop or not. And everything about who they were should have compelled them to stop because they knew God. And God's heart is a compassionate heart filled with mercy and justice. So we have a decision to make, and compassion requires a decision. Sometimes those decisions can be really simple decisions, and other times those decisions can be really difficult decisions. Sometimes the decision is, what am I going to wear today? What am I going to have for breakfast? What am I going to pick up when I go to the store? But then there are other decisions in life that are really, really important. And those decisions are the decisions that are going to build our life. You know? Like, those decisions are going to be the decisions that either build a life that looks like Jesus or or don't. 
And, and we have the power to make decisions about whether or not our lives are going to look like him and his or not. And so each opportunity that we have to show compassion to somebody is an opportunity either for us to become more like him or less like him. And the only way we can build our lives is by making decisions that we know God is calling us to make. And it's so easy to make decisions based on what we feel we should do. But will we listen to him in those moments when a decision needs to be made that's really, really important? It's really interesting when you think about those split-second decisions. They can happen in, an, in a moment. You may have a, a split second to decide whether or not you're going to have compassion on someone when someone is in need. Like, think about it when you're driving down the road. How many times have we passed by someone on the side of the road that's been broken down? How many times? All kinds, right? And what's the first thought that goes into your mind? It, it goes through everyone's mind. I know it does because we're just human beings. It, are they okay? Right? Are they okay? And then the second thing is, is should I stop? Right? Should I stop? And most oftentimes we don't because we're just busy. We're going somewhere or we're coming from somewhere or there's something that we've got to do. And so, so oftentimes the decision to, to show compassion on someone is sometimes just, it can be really, really quick. Other times it, it's like right in our lap and we know exactly what to do. But a lot of times it's really quick. There was a woman that came into my office a couple weeks ago, and um, this is like one of those moments where it was just like, like that. I had to make a decision like that. There was a woman that came into my office a couple weeks ago. We were sitting. Uh, on Fridays, I have a bunch of things to do in the morning and in the afternoon, but I got this time, this window of time in the, in the mid-morning where I'm like, all right, I, get, I can get stuff done because I've got responsibilities both in the morning and the afternoon. And so I was like, in my office, I was ready to go. I wanted to like work on this. I don't even remember what it was. It couldn't have been that important. I don't know. I don't know what it was. But I was like trying. I knew that I had to work on this and get it done before I had something else to do later on. And Jasmine comes into my office and she says, hey, Chad, there's a woman in the lobby here. And uh, I think you might need to talk to her. And I was like, okay. So um, I go out there and this woman is like literally just, I mean, she was just broken. I mean, bro I mean, she was in her PJs. I mean, she was crying she was, um, she was just in a place where it was like she was at the end of everything. She was probably about 60 years old. And I said, how are you? What's your name? Where are you from? And she shares with me her story, and we, we start talking. And, you know, she literally gotten thrown out of her house the night before. Her husband basically told her to leave, and she left because he didn't want to be with her anymore. And... So she came to our church. She has no idea who anyone here is. She's never been here before in her life. She just literally drove up in the parking lot and walked through the office door looking for someone. And so I talked to her. I was talking to her, and I was like, we're talking about Jesus. And she said, you know, I know Jesus, and I've, I've, I've you know, I, I gave my heart to, her, to him a long time ago when I was little. She goes, but I haven't been following him, but, you know, I just, I just don't know what to do. And I said, you know what? I said, he's faithful to you, you know? He's faithful to you. He will take care of you. And I asked her, I said, do you have anywhere to go? Do you have any family? And she said, I have nobody. And I was like, are you serious? Like, you have nowhere to go. She, like, literally slept in her car the night before. This was, like, a month ago, so it was, like, cold out. 
And I said to her, I said, I said, okay. I said, and I'm just like, I don't, I'm like, whoa, this is not what I was expecting when I was going to wake up this morning when I got out of bed, you know? <clears throat> but then I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, take care of her. Take care of her. And so I said to her, I said, ma'am, I said, I don't know what the future is going to bring you, but I'm going to try to help you right now. And so I, we, we went down the street. She had a car, brought her to the gas station. I, we put gas in her car so that she had a full tank of gas. We drove her to uh, Super 8 Motel in Westbrook. We got her a night stay there, and she, she stayed there for the night. And I said, ma'am, I don't know what beyond this I can do at this point. I said, maybe if you come back here like on a Monday or on a Tuesday, we might be able to help you out a little bit more. But I said, this is what all we can do right now. It's all I can do. And so I told her about the food pantry on Friday night. And she said she was going to come up and be a part of that and get food and stuff like that. But my point is this, is like I had a split-second decision, you know, to make a choice to show compassion on someone, just like the Levite and the priest did. Split-second, same as the Samaritan. And I'm not saying, like, I get this right every time because I don't. There are plenty of times where I blew it, and I know I've blown it, where I've been like, man, I should have done more for that person, or I should have done this or done that for this person, and that's okay. But here's the thing. Compassion requires a decision, and sometimes it's a split second. Sometimes it's a split second. Each opportunity that requires compassion and empathy and an is an opportunity for us to become more increasingly transformed into him and his likeness, okay? Each opportunity that we have that requires compassion and empathy gives us the ability and the opportunity to become more like him and to be transformed into his likeness. And every decision that I try to make in my life, this is what I say to myself. Is this going to make me more like him or less like him? Is this going to make me more like him or less like him? That's like the rule for me. And it's one that I try to follow as much as possible because my goal is that my decisions will always cultivate a life that looks like his in order to create a character more like him. And so that's how important decisions are in our lives when it comes to him. The second thing I want you to see is that it costs something. Decisions it it, compassion requires a decision, but compassion also requires a cost. There is nothing cheap about following him. When that Samaritan decided to make the decision to approach this man, he had no idea who the man was, right? He didn't know he was Jewish. He didn't know if he was a Samaritan. He didn't know who he was. But he stopped. He made a decision, and he showed compassion. And actually, the text says that he was compelled by compassion to, to go to this man on the side of the road. But compassion and showing compassion and leading a life of compassion is going to require a cost. It always, always will require a cost because there's always a cost to helping others. In verse 34 and 35, this is what it costs the Samaritan. We read it in verse 34 and 35, if you want to go there right now. It required, it cost him his resources. The text says that it, he took oil and wine and bandaged the man's wounds. Okay? 
Those are not cheap things. You don't go to Walmart and buy a bottle of really good oil for 99 cents. You know? That requires cost. Oil and water, in the, uh, oil, oil and wine required, you know, it was costly to purchase those things. But this man took his resources to help him. So it required his resources. It also required his money because in verse 35, we read, I don't think it's up there, but in verse 35, we read that he not only bandaged the guy's wounds, he puts the guy on the donkey, right, on his horse, and he brings him into town until he finds the first available inn. He goes to the inn, and the text says he stays overnight with the guy. You know, he could have just bandaged up his wounds and said, hey, man, I think, I think you're good to go. I think you're going to be fine. I, I got to take off. He could have done that, but he didn't do that. What did he do? He bandaged the man's wounds. Not only that, he put him on the horse, took him to the inn, and spent the night with the guy. Compassion, the cost for compassion, sometimes will cost us our time. And so we read that he takes this man and he, 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 he shows compassion on him. It requires him to, to give of his resources. It requires him to give of his money. It requires him to give of his time. It costs him a lot. This man could have been going anywhere. We don't know where he was going, but he could have been on his way to a really important meeting. I don't know. It could have been... Uh, a family thing, it could have been pleasure, it could have been just whatever, I don't know, it could have been a religious thing, it could have been a political thing, I mean, we don't know, employment, I don't know where this guy was going, and Jesus doesn't tell us, but what we do need to understand is regardless of where he was going, I'm sure it was important to him, but he took the time anyway to stop and give his time to show compassion on this guy, and that's the main point that we have to understand this morning, that's what he did, and it required something, it cost him something, his focus and his attention on himself, right? His focus and attention on himself were arrested and redirected by the compassion that he felt for the man. That is what Jesus is saying this morning. And the question is this, will we do that in our lives? Will we do that in our lives? Will we in the midst of busyness, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a life where we feel like we have no extra time to do anything except for everything that we've already committed to do, will we react that way? Will we do that? Will we lead that life that Jesus has called us to now? And, and trust me, I want this to be an encouragement for you this morning. I don't want you to walk out of here and be like, oh my gosh, I am definitely not doing that. Because, like I said earlier, each moment, our lives are, are, are just, they're just little increments of becoming more like him, right? We're not going to walk out of here and be like, all right, I'm selling everything. I mean, maybe someone will. I'm going to sell everything, and I'm just going to go serve somebody. And hopefully, God will provide for my resources. You know, most of us aren't going to walk out of here and do that. So please understand me. I'm not trying to say that we're just missing the mark and we're failing. What I am trying to say that God has given us a life and has called us to a life to lead, and this is what it is, you know? So, 
Would we have reacted that way? Because here is what the message, here is Jesus' message in this whole story. And it comes down to verse 36, right? In verse 36, if you want to look at it, he turns after he reads the story, after he explains the story to the, to the lawyer, this is what he says to the lawyer. He says, okay, given all of what I've just said, who is his neighbor? Who is his neighbor? And the lawyer turns around to him and says, well, the man who had mercy and compassion on him. That's his neighbor. And he said to the lawyer, absolutely, go and do the same. Go and do the same. He was sending a message to both us to the nation of Israel, his people, to the lawyer. And this is the message he was sending in this story, guys, is this, is that God's heart of compassion is indiscriminate. There is no, there is no one that God does not want to, want to, does not desire to show his compassionate love to. Nobody. Nobody. And, and our lives have to be a reflection of that reality, that there is no one in our lives, it doesn't matter who they are, that does not deserve the compassionate love of God. Nobody. And that is what the story is saying. God's love, God's heart of compassion is indiscriminate. And so should ours. That's what he's saying. God has chosen to reveal himself, not to some. God has chosen to reveal himself to the whole world. And God's love and compassion is not limited to some people that he has decided to show that to. And so, nor should ours. We are not called to just show love and compassion and, and, and live a life of empathy towards those that look like us only, that believe the same thing we do, that live in the same place we do, that come from the same background we do. Actually, what Jesus is saying in this story is that your love and compassion should extend to those people that actually could be your sworn enemies because that is what the Samaritan and the Jew were in that time. They were sworn enemies. They didn't like each other. They didn't want anything to do with each other. There was no way they were going to do anything for one another that had any sense of compassion or empathy at all. And so Jesus is saying this, hey, it's cool to love people that you know and that you identify with and that you share common certain values and, and traditions with and that maybe you live close to. That's cool. You should do that. But guess what? I'm calling you to something bigger. I'm calling you to love people that you feel like it's hard to love. I'm calling you to love people that don't look like you. I'm calling to, you to love people that don't necessarily believe what you believe or, or, or hold the same traditions and values that you hold that you may think are actually your sworn enemies. That's the people I'm calling you to love. That's what he's saying in this story. And he's saying that that compassion and that empathy costs something. It costs a lot. I don't know what it's going to cost you. I don't know what it's going to cost me. It'll cost us something, though. The one thing I do know is it won't cost us nothing. It will cost us something. It should cost us something. It, look, it may look like for you, it may look like, you know, a night away from your family to, like, just pour into somebody that's struggling. It may look like for you, you know, an unplanned visit with someone who's sick. It may look like for you, you, you know, taking your resources and preparing a meal or meals for someone that, you know, that, that, that can't cook for themselves. 
I don't know what it's going to look like for you. It may look like being in the food pantry here Friday night where you, we're serving so many people from so many different other different places in the world. I don't know what it's going to look like for you. It could mean that you partner with a, an organization that, that, that is in the community called Welcoming the Stranger. There's this amazing you know, organization in this community that basically partners people in this community with refugees that are being resettled here in order for them to be able to navigate the culture, right? I'm meeting with a family next week where we're just getting together and I'm going to, you know, start, hopefully start some type of relationship with them where I can just pour into them and, and show my love and compassion for them because they're in a place that is very different for them. I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know. But what I do know is it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your resources or your time or your money. It's going to cost you something. Because this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14. He says this, Anyone who does not lay everything down, anyone who does not basically give up everything to be my disciple is not worthy. If you are not willing to renounce everything you have, you can't be my disciple. Now, he's talking about discipleship, but wrapped up in discipleship is compassion. Living a life of compassion is about, is about being a disciple of Jesus. And he said in, chapter, in Luke 14, hey, if you're not willing to renounce it all, you can't follow me. Now, will it cost you everything? I don't know. It may not. For some people, it does. For some people, that's, their, that's the call. You know, they, they give up everything. They go serve somewhere, and they don't, you know, I, I don't know. But I do know this. It could cost you everything. It may not, but it could. And you've got to be willing to be able to have it be that way if you want to follow him. We better count the cost because in order to live a life for Jesus, you've got to be able to count the cost. You've got to be able to understand what it's going to cost you. In the story of a man who was going to build a tower, we read this. We read that, you know, this man set out to build a tower. He didn't count the cost. And in the middle of building the tower, he realized he didn't have enough to finish it. We don't want to be in that place, guys. You don't want to be in that place where you can't, you can't commit to the cost it's going to take to follow him. So you've got to count the cost, and we've got to count the cost. We've got to understand that if we're going to live a life of compassion, it may cost us everything. Because God's, God's heart is... God's heart, his compassion is so strong and so mighty. His love for us should compel us to show compassion on one another. And in Psalms 78, uh, can you bring that up there, Trav? Psalm 78 says this in the Passion Translation. He said, this is an unbelievable just passage about God's relationship with us and how he sees us. It says, he covered over their sins with his love, refusing to destroy them all. Over and over, he held back his anger, restraining wrath to show them mercy. He knew that they were made from mere dust, fragile, uh, frail, fragile, and short-lived, here today and gone tomorrow. And is there another part? Is that all of it? Okay. That is what the picture of God's love is for us this morning. His compassion was on full display for us. It's going to cost us a lot. 
Why is it going to cost us a lot? Why will it almost cost us everything? Because guess what? It costs God everything to show his love and compassion for you. It cost him everything. It cost him his son, right? It cost him everything. So if, if we know that it costs God everything to pour out his love and compassion on us, how can we not, if we are following him, not expect the same thing for us? He gave it all for us. So how can we not expect to be able to have to give it all for someone else? That's how I read it, you know? If we're not willing to pay that ultimate cost and, and just give up whatever it is that he calls us to, then I don't know if we're really living the life that he's called us to because, man, he gave it, every, he gave it all. It cost God everything. He, he sent his son to the earth so that we could know him, but his son eventually, you know, died, and God had to live through that. He had to witness that. That cost him everything. So I don't see how we can actually think anything different. So I just, I just, just want to speak to one more thing this morning, and that's this. You know, in the culture, in our culture, and every culture is the same, to be honest with you, there is a deficit of compassion and empathy in this culture. We see it. You look around. You're on social media. There is a deficit of compassion and empathy in this culture. And we're not, it's not mutually exclusive to our culture, okay? Right on down the line from the beginning of time when humans were created, <laughs> there's been a lack of compassion and empathy for one another. That has never changed. It may change forms. It may take on new faces. But guess what? We're no different than 2,000 years ago. And we'll be no different than 2,000 years from now if everything is still going, right? But here's the reality. We have a deficit of compassion and empathy in this culture because everything can be so focused on us. We are so tied up in the image we're trying to create sometimes and building our brand and, and, and clothing it in like this false humility of like, you know, well, I'm just trying to help people. But we are just so concentrated on our hurts, on our shortcomings, on our downfalls. We're so, we're so concerned about how people have treated us in the past. We're so concerned with, with, with our scars that it literally paralyzes us and our ability to be able to help other people, to show compassion and empathy to others. That is dangerous. And as a culture, our culture feeds into that so badly. Like, you know, promote you, build your brand. You know, it's all, you know, your, your social media status is all about what you are and who you are and how you're affecting other people. See, our motivation to show compassion and empathy can't be focused on us. It can't actually even be focused on the people that we're showing it to. Our motive and compassion for people should come from him why? Because he already did it for us. See, God already showed you and me compassion and empathy in our greatest time of need. And if we're not going to do that, if that is not going to be our motivation, guess what? We are going to constantly seek the applause and approval of other people with our valiant efforts. We are constantly going to be zapped of our energy to show compassion for others if we're not doing it for him. We can't even do it for the person we're doing it for ultimately. Our motive has got to be him because he did it for us. 
right? It can't be for us. That was what the lawyer said. The lawyer said, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? What do I have to do? He didn't ask, Jesus, how can I better show compassion and empathy to people around me? He didn't say that. He said, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? In a, in a sense, what he's saying is, is, how can I secure my eternity? Oh, you're saying I have to do this? Okay, well, I'll do that. But if Jesus would have said something else, he would have done that anyway. He would have done that. So our motive can't be us. And our motive actually can't be them. Our motive has got to be him. Right? Because anything else is futile. Anything else will just completely waste us. Anything else we will get sick and tired of super quick. It really will. You guys want to go? So I just want to end with this. Jesus has called us to go above and beyond. <coughs> We're going to have prayer time in a minute here. And Shanna and uh, Melissa are going to lead us in that. But I just want to say this one last thing to you guys. Jesus has established a new standard, okay? He's established a new standard and a new bar for us. See, what the lawyer thought he was called to in his life was to take care of people that looked like him, that shared the same values that he did, that came from the same places that he did. That's who the lawyer thought he was called to, to love and to pour out his compassion and empathy on. That is who he thought he was called to. But Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to tell you a story, and this is what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you that you are actually supposed to pour out your love and, compa and compassion on people that you do not like, that you do not trust, that may be your enemy, that don't look like you, that don't come from the same place that you do, that don't believe the same thing you do. That is the new bar that Jesus has established in, on this earth for us to live by. We are to go above and beyond what was expected of us. And that is to love those who need care and love, period. Nothing else matters. He said this, religiosity, this, this is what I get from this. Religiosity, fear, skepticism, and prejudice have gotten in the way of love. Religiosity, fear, skepticism, and prejudice have gotten in the way of love. And we have got to be better than that. It's going to cost us a lot, you guys. It's going to cost us. And we have to be okay with that. We have to live a life motivated by God's compassionate love for us to recognize and to make the decision to show love, compassion, and mercy for others and to be okay with whatever it costs. That's what he's saying in this story of the Good Samaritan. That his heart is indiscriminate and so should ours be as well. Why is it going to cost us everything? It's going to cost us everything because it cost God everything to show his love and compassion for us when we needed it the most. And that's why it may cost us everything. Sometimes I wish I wasn't called to a life like this. I really do. But that's just not our choice. So let's stand this morning. I just want to 
I just want to pray over you guys, and I, I really hope that this, this word, this story, and God just is able to resonate. You're able to, to fully understand a little bit more what the heart of God is and who he is. Because at the heart of who he is is mercy, compassion, and justice. And that should be the markers of our life as well. So can I have the prayer team come on up? Uh, whoever's released to do prayer or to pray over people this morning. If you need prayer for anything, just come up right now. Uh, you don't need to wait for me to end, but if you need prayer for anything, come on up. It doesn't have to be about this. It can be about whatever's going on in your life. Come and receive prayer this morning. And I just want to pray over you. Lord, I just pray, Jesus, I pray over everyone in this place, God, that we would be encouraged by this word, by this story, that we would be encouraged by it, that we would not be discouraged by it because each and every day as we as we put our feet on the ground, as we wake up, we, all we have to do is say, you know what, Lord? You know what? Just make me a little bit more like you today. And you know what? You may not have a moment. You may not have something that, that God puts in, in front of you tomorrow or even in a week from now. But guess what? He's going to put something in front of you. He's going to put a situation in front of you, and he's going to require you to make a decision and to act and to pay a cost. And I don't know when that's going to be. It may be tomorrow. I don't know. But I know it will happen. And so, but if it doesn't happen tomorrow, please don't be discouraged. If you wake up tomorrow and you go to work and tomorrow seems like the same day as it was the day before, and every Monday looks like the last four Mondays that it did before, I get that, okay? I understand that. I, 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 I resonate with that. I do. But guess what? God, God is going to provide those moments for you. Jesus will provide those moments for you, and it's up to you to say, you know what? This is a moment. I'll make a decision and I'll pay the cost. So Lord, we just thank you, God, for the life that you give us and the life that you've called us to because it is a life of compassion, mercy, and justice for others regardless of who they are. And we thank you, God, for that life because it's a life that, it's, it's a life that we want to lead and it's a life that we are called into and that we join with you and celebrate so Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this story. And thank you, God, for being committed to us so that we can become more like you each and every day.